Oh, nope, it's my son. Hi, Kit. You need me to turn on some Star Wars music? Yeah. <laughs> How it. can you say no to that? <laughs> All right, I'll uh, I'll be back in a minute, guys. <laughs> Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joseph Drowski. Good evening, Joseph. Good evening, Todd. How are you doing? I am hanging in there. <laughs> a little tired? <laughs> a little tired. Uh, it's been just a busy couple of days, but um, I got to introduce this film tonight at, at uh, uh, the Iberian and Latin American Film Festival at SUU, and it's called Blanca Nieves, and it is from 2012 and it's a silent film version of snow white uh but it's set in the 1920s in spain and snow white's dad is a bullfighter and her mom is a flamenco dancer and the dwarves are like rodeo clowns and it is totally delightful well color me intrigued (laughs) (laughs) so uh uh, one minor development in my life uh my seven-year-old daughter has discovered harry potter todd Oh, congratulations. Yes. Uh, and it's it's been glorious. She is – it's like all in, full investment. She's really? already on, on to the fourth audiobook while she has me read her the first book for a bedtime story, and she checked out the second book from the school library to read during quiet time at, in her first grade class. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's a dark side to Harry Potter obsession. Did you know this? Uh, please do tell. It uh, It comes when you say, I'm sorry, you can't listen to another CD. It's a school night. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and sometimes the children just want to keep going with Jim Dale's voice reading Harry yeah. Potter. <laughs> well, who can blame him? Yeah. Those are pretty delightful books. I've dreamed of this day. It's better than I could have imagined. She has the best theories. <laughs> about really? Harry Potter. And, and like after she finished the third book, we had a really in-depth discussion about time travel and why Harry saw himself before <laughs> he oh, went man. back in time in the main plot. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so good. So good. That's awesome. Congratulations. What yeah. an exciting time. That's All great. Right. Well, uh, today, listeners, we are going to be talking about the film Hoosiers. And we're going to try not to make this into uh, the the Fuhrer uh, incident we had a couple episodes back when we were recording Frasier. But I just fear I'm going to mispronounce Hoosiers. <laughs> A couple times, <laughs> and it's going to come out Hoosiers or or, or you something. just said it correctly. I, you I want did? to say Hoosiers? Huger. I feel like uh, a Nemoyan at, at the start of uh, episode one of Star Wars, who have the kind of racist accents. Hoosiers. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, <laughs> we are talking about Coach Norman Dale from the 1986 film. Hoosiers. Dale is played by Gene Hackman, and the film was written by Angelo Piso and directed by David Anspa. Okay, so uh, Hoosiers is a story of Norman Dale, a 50-something disgraced former college basketball coach who is given a chance to redeem himself by coaching a ragtag group of farm boys from the tiny town of Hickory, Indiana. On the way, he has to face the prejudices of the town, including an especially mistrusting fellow teacher, uh, the alcoholic father of one of his players, and the fact that his the best basketball player in all of Hickory refuses to play for him. Those are a few, few roadblocks. Yes. If that sounds interesting to you, uh, check out the film Hoosiers. It is a classic. And 
we're doing this in honor of uh, March Madness because it's yes. word. We are in the thick. Yeah, already been a few upsets today. How's your, the, how's your bracket uh, doing? Uh, I have not actually had the time to go and look, but I am sure I am one hundred percent. I am. I'm confident. Nice. <laughs> Last year, after uh, you picked Yale over, uh, was it Yale over Baylor? Uh, yes, I, I I had that in a bracket. <laughs> I have multiple brackets. I know I had nice. that upset in one of them. Okay. Uh, last year, after two days, my six-year-old was in the 99.8th percentile on ESPN.com's bracket. Wow. <laughs> System. Did not hold at that pace. She did not <laughs> pick the winner. But but after day, day two, I was impressed with her picks. Oh, there you go. Uh, all right. Well, listeners, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or if you you're going old school, you're MP3 player. And of all the days to go old school, today's the day. Oh, we'll be discussing yeah. Hoosiers. My Hoosiers. goodness. Hoosiers. <laughs> I don't know why you struggle with that. I, I don't know. I even went to uh, grad school in Michigan, right there in the Midwest, next to Indiana, where you'd think you'd hear all these words thrown thrown out with some regularity. But I'm, I struggle with Hoosiers. <laughs> I'm going to try to get you to say that as much as possible today. <laughs> I don't know that we should. <laughs> okay. You got some trivia for us? I do. Uh, in this film, uh, Dennis Hopper, he he, uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, and Jerry Goldsmith's film score was nominated for an Academy Award as well. Wait, who is he supporting? Oh, Dennis uh, Hopper. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Hopper, not Gene yeah, Hackman. I thought you were talking about Gene Hackman. Yes, I uh, absolutely agree. I love Dennis Hopper in this film. Oh, yeah. Uh, producer Andrew, like, he saw uh, 15 minutes kind of in the background as I was prepping stuff and he was getting things set up. And, but he looked at the screen and he's like, he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Dennis Hopper sitting on the sideline, but he could just tell <laughs> there's a different level of acting happening there. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. This- this film is preserved in the National Film Registry every year. I think it's like a half dozen films get named uh, to be preserved for all time by the United States government. And this is this one is one of them. Well deserved. Uh, just a little uh, protagonist podcast crossover that I noticed. There's an actor, Chelsea Ross, who plays one of the townsfolk, uh, and he was Coach Divine in Rudy. Was, oh my looking, gosh, you're right. Yeah, I, I was looking. I'm like, I he has stopped uh, another uh, <laughs> hero of a sports movie. <laughs> and you mentioned Joseph that uh, Jerry Goldsmith was the composer for this, and and there was Shades of Rudy in the. He, he was the composer. He's the composer of Rudy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a couple times where I'm like, I'm here in Rudy. This yeah? would be a, a pre-echo of Rudy, a precursor to Rudy, I guess. But Rudy was just a twinkle in Jerry Goldsmith's eye. Yeah, this film is, let's say, based on a true story, but <laughs> there are quite a few liberties that have been taken. For example, uh, the school the story is based on, Milan High School, had made it to the state semifinals the year before, and they were considered a state powerhouse, and they were favorites to win the tournament in the year the movie takes place. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in the film, uh, they're kind of a down on luck team that Gene Hackman, Hackman comes in to take over. And last bit of trivia, I noticed that somehow, against all odds, this film passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> Would you like to tell us what the Bechdel test is? Yes, the Bechdel test uh, is named by a uh, independent comic book artist uh, whose last name is Bechdel. And in a nineteen, I want to say it's a late nineteen eighties comic, she talked about a conversation with a friend where they they said a movie could possibly earn three te- three points. So you can earn three points on the Bechdel test, and if you get three points, you pass. And you get one point if you have more than one female character with a speaking part. 
So, Jack, uh, then with, you, with a name. Uh, yes, with a name. You, uh, you get two points if they have a conversation with each other. And then you get three points if no. the conversation is not about a man. You get, that's the first, second, and third point. Yeah. The, so, the three points are. Yes, you, you said, you don't, you don't get two points. That's the second point. Well, I'm saying, like, people rate these on oh a scale of one to three. Like, what's the score on a Bechtel test? Does it get one point, two points, or three points? It right. would be impossible to get three, the third if you did not already have the first and second yes. points. Right. Exactly. I think you're both right. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> uh, and anyway, this film, which is almost entirely populated by men, <laughs> has uh, two females with a speaking role, and they actually have a conversation where one of them says, we need some more wood on this fire. No, I'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go they made it they made it yeah and, and that is the only words they speak to one another even though they're mother-daughter <laughs> okay i have one more piece of trivia okay what do you know about the the actor maris valenus uh at this moment nothing i okay. believe you're about to enlighten me this is from the recesses of my mind maris valenus is an American construction consultant and a former actor best known for his role in the 1986 film Hoosiers, in which he played the character of Jimmy Chitwood, a basketball player who makes a last-second shot to win the Indiana State High School Championship. No, giving away the end there, Todd. I'm sorry, but but here's the thing. So Jimmy Chitwood in this film, he's supposed to be this amazing basketball player. Here's the thing about Maris Valenus. Cut from his own high school basketball team. Oh, well, there's there's some uh, wide shots where he's clearly making all the shots he's taking. Yeah, and the, there's a one where it's a one sh- one one cut, and mm-hmm. he makes every shot during a conversation. Yeah, and he's the only he's the only player on the on the Hickory High basketball team of the, all of these actors who never played high school basketball. <laughs> I just think it's amazing. He yeah, was he was si- he was standing in line uh, to get the role. And somebody, he was like, I'm out of here because there were so many people in front of him. And he stepped out of the line and somebody saw him and ran up to him and said, hey, can you uh, shoot some hoops? And he did. And they they were like, you're it. You're our guy. And so he did it. And then after that, he said, uh, because it was so easy for him, he didn't really learn how to work. And that was the end of his career. <laughs> he became a golf. Uh, he got really interested in golf. And then was worked as a caddy, and now he's a construction consultant. Okay. Consultant. I'm assuming by recesses of your mind, you meant Wikipedia. Is that yes, the correct that's citation exactly. for this information? <laughs> I just wanted to throw out the yes. correct citation. Real Wikipedia. Quick. Notes right. are in the show notes. Uh, listeners, if you have never seen Hoosiers, and this sounds good to you, you can order it from protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. If you do that, it is the same price as if you went through a regular Amazon page, but we get a little bit of a kickback from Amazon and it helps us to keep the lights on. It is not currently available on Netflix or Amazon Prime for streaming, but it is available for purchase on DVD at protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. All right, Todd, are you ready for a full synopsis of this film? I am. All right, here we go, listeners. Coach Dale is driving his car through rural Indiana. There are shots of small towns, covered bridges, and many fields. In a wide shot, his car car pauses for a long time at a crossroads. Possible symbolic meaning there. (laughs) On-screen text tells us it is in 1951, but boy, oh boy, does the music tell us that this film was made in 1986. (laughs) I love the music in this film. (laughs) 
Dale arrives at Hickory High School, where a woman, Miss Fleener, grills him about his coaching and teaching credentials. Lots of tension there. All kinds of tension, if you catch my meaning. (laughs) (laughs) Coach Dale meets the principal. Uh, They knew each other 20 years ago. They go to the gym where they meet a student named Jimmy Chitwood, who ignores Coach and just shoots and makes basket after basket. (laughs) Jimmy won't play for the team because he's emotional about the old coach dying. At a meeting in the barbershop, all the men in the town grill Coach Dale about his qualifications and warn him that the town doesn't like change, so he better run the zone defense. Seriously, all the men of the town are there to tell Coach Dale how to do his job, even insisting that he's got to get Jimmy Chitwood back to play for the team. Coach Dale says goodnight and leaves the rural townsfolk flabbergasted. (laughs) Next day, Dale talks to Miss Fleener, who explains that she watches over Jimmy because his mother is sick and his dad isn't in the picture, and Miss Fleener warns Dale not to try and recruit Jimmy to play for the basketball team. A volunteer assistant coach is running practice when Dale walks into the gym. Dale dismisses him from practice immediately. (laughs) This is the, uh, the actor who also stops Rudy's dreams for a while. Uh, then Dale tells a disrespectful player to leave the gym and get out. He's off the team. And that player drags his friend off with him. This leaves Dale with five players. And if you're unfamiliar with the rules of basketball, (laughs) well, yes, they say four and a half. Uh, you need five players. One of them is uh, a little shorter than all the rest. So the team kind of says four and a half. Uh, during a montage with Fantastic 80s music, Dale runs his practice with lots of running and not so much shooting of the ball. Rural townsfolk come to protest this new style of practice, but a father drags his son, who quit an hour earlier, back to rejoin the team and then tells all the other rural townsfolk to let the coach do his job. At a town diner, where while the principal and Dale are eating, a town drunk named Shooter interrupts their meal to relive his glory days about... Uh, his own basketball career. Shooter's son is on the basketball team, and his son is quite a bit embarrassed by his father. Uh, Next, Coach Dale talks to Jimmy about missing class. So he's talking to him as a teacher, not as a coach, because Coach Dale also teaches a couple uh, classes in the school. Uh, And during this conversation, Jimmy just shoots and shoots the ball and makes every basket. Back at the school, Miss Fleener again tells Dale to leave Jimmy alone. Notice a pattern, anyone? Uh, At a school rally, the students start chanting, we want Jimmy. (laughs) But Coach Dale tells them to respect the team they have and not the one they wish they had. We cut to the locker room before the first game, and Dale reminds his team to make four passes before taking any shot. During the game, Coach Dale keeps yelling at his players to pass the ball four times, while all the rural townsfolk keep yelling at the players to shoot the ball every time they touch it. At halftime, the team is down 20-10. to 10. In the second half, number 25, I never learned his name. Uh, his name starts, is Ray. Ray. Ray starts shooting the ball without passing it, and even though he's making his shots, Coach benches him and sends in the short scrub to Ollie. take his place. Yes. Uh, Ollie is the short scrub? Yes. Okay, number 12. Do you know his name? Uh, All right, number 12 fouls out, but Coach won't let Ray back into the game. They're going to play four on five. The rural townsfolk are furious. Uh, Near the point of rioting, even. Except for Miss Fleener and Shooter, who quietly respect what Coach Dale is teaching the kids. After the game, Dale invites his players to spend the weekend to ponder if they would like to be on the team, with the understanding that when it comes to basketball, Coach Dale is the law. In town, Dale helps an elderly lady with a heavy bag of grain. This turns out to be Miss Fleener's mom, who invites Coach over to dinner on Saturday night. Miss Fleener explains uh, at when they're at the house that on Saturday night, Miss Fleener explains that her brother played basketball and she never understood why basketball was such a big deal for her family and for everyone in this town. And Miss Fleener, in, in, in fact, left the town, but then came back when her dad died and her mom got sick. Coach asks Miss Fleener why she never got married, and she tells him to mind his own beeswax. <laughs> 
Shooter uh, visits Coach. Uh, Shooter, again, is the town drunk, and he visits Coach to give him some advice about his upcoming coming opponent. During the game, Ray offers some insight during uh, in the huddle, and that gets him benched. <laughs> Ray tries to save a play they should run. <laughs> Ray, Ray really uh, has a hard time. He gets off on the wrong foot. Yeah. Uh, then Coach Dale gets a technical for complaining, and soon there's a little bit of a brawl, and Coach Dale and Ray get ejected from the game, but they have a little understanding because Ray threw a punch to protect Coach Dale. Yes. <laughs> So that, that helps Ray, Ray out a little bit. Uh, Coach Dale visits his old friend, the principal, who is ailing in health. Uh, then he visits Shooter and asks him to come be his assistant coach, but he has to sober up. During the game, Shooter shows up in a suit, and he's clean-shaven, and his hair is combed, and the rural townsfolk murmur about his presence on the bench. What is that guy doing there? He's a town drunk. Uh, Shooter's son, who's on the team. What's Shooter's son's name? Everett. Everett. Uh, Everett. I think. Uh, tells Coach he doesn't like his dad helping the team because he's an embarrassing drunk. Dale tells him to give his dad a chance. Miss Fleener tells Dale that a referendum... Oh, this is after the game. Miss Fleener tells Dale that a referendum has been issued to remove him as coach of the team, and it will be voted on at the town meeting on Saturday. At Friday night's game, so this is Dale's last chance to make a good showing, uh, Dale is thrown out <laughs> from the game for a ticky-tack call by the ref. Uh, the refs don't like Coach Dale. And Dale turns over coaching responsibilities to Shooter, Swelling string music accompanies this decision, but then Shooter just kind of shrinks from the opportunity and melts into the bench. Miss Fleener finds Coach Dale and reveals that she's discovered that he has a lifetime ban from collegiate coaching because he fought with a player. Uh, at the town meeting on Saturday night, Coach Dale says, I was hired to teach the boys the game of basketball, and that's what I've done to the best of my abilities. I apologize for nothing. Miss Fleener gets up to read something to the crowd. She unfolds the newspaper article about Coach Dale's college suspension. But then, instead, she says she thinks it would be a mistake to let Dale go and that people need to give him a chance. Uh, the townspeople take a vote when Jimmy Chitwood shows up, and he says he'll play again but only for Coach Dale. The vote was 68 to 45 in favor of dismissing the coach. But now that Jimmy Chitwood wants to play for him, there is an immediate revote <laughs> called, and Coach Dale <laughs> stays comfortably. Uh, now with Jimmy back, and we get a slow-mo montage of games accompanied to music with a heavy drum beat and some sweet electronic chords. <laughs> Shooter uh, is struggling. I feel with... like you're mocking the music in this film. Oh, Todd. Uh, just wait. I'm not done with this recap. <laughs> If you feel that now, you should hold on. It. Uh, Shooter is struggling with his sobriety, but Coach Dale helps him out with some old-fashioned head dunking into cold water. <laughs> Shooter says that if he's going to do this, Coach Dale has to promise not to get kicked out of any more games, and Dale gives a scout's honor. At the next game, <laughs> after some slow-mo action and pounding 80s music, Coach Dale argues with the ref and demands to get thrown out of the game. Like He, he just kind of whispers to the ref, throw me out or I'm just going to make a big scene right now. So the ref <laughs> throws him out. Uh, and Shooter has to rise to the occasion, which he does this time, calling the key offensive play for the win. Side note, Dennis Hopper is a fabulous actor. Oh my gosh, he's so good in this movie. <laughs> All right, more montage gets us through the rest of the season. At the sectional finals, Shooter hasn't shown up until he comes back heavily sauced up at a controversial moment of the game. Uh, Shooter is thrown out. He's just rip-roaring drunk. Uh, and his son does not take his father's drunk appearance very well. He takes his frustration out on another player. Soon there's a bit of a... How do you say a Donnybrook on the floor? <laughs> Shooter's son uh, is shoved into a trophy case and he's bleeding. He's got a cut all over his shoulder. Uh, despite this chaos, Hickory High does hold on for the win. 
Coach Dale goes out and he finds Shooter passed out in the woods and he gets him to a hospital to dry out. The team goes on to regional finals. So they won sectionals. Now they're going to regionals. And following this, there is the state championship. Dale gives a locker room speech uh, that earns a slow cap clap from his team. Now we're ready for another game montage. Hickory High is not doing well at first, but keeps the deficit to single digits. One of the players on the evil other team hits a shooter's son in his injured shoulder and pulls the stitches. Uh, two minutes left in the game, and it's now tied. Bench warmers are pulled in as fouls and injuries mount for the Hickory High starters. Uh, the smallest bench warmer is fouled by the evil Ollie. team with three seconds. I like calling him the smallest bench warmer. Okay. <laughs> Along with the rural townsfolk and number yes. 12. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the smallest bench warmer is fouled by the evil team with only three seconds left on the clock. But he makes both of his granny style free throws. Uh, the next so day, great. coach Dale takes a romantic walk with Miss Fleener that ends in a very awkward kiss. Uh, <laughs> Shooter's son <laughs> visits Shooter and they make some peace. And then at the state championship, the Hickory High players are a bit awed by the size of, of the, uh, the stadium they're going to be playing in. I believe they call that an arena. An arena. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so Dale has them measure the height of the hoop to prove the court is the same size they've always played on. It's just 10 feet high, kids. Uh, then there's locker room talk, more slow-mo slow -mo basketball action with drum beats and synthesizers. Uh, the other team starts blowing out Hickory, but one inspirational timeout later, the music shifts to a bouncy major chord and Jimmy's <laughs> shots start falling. <laughs> Hickory High ties it up with 25 seconds left. Rural townsfolk are cheering like crazy. Uh, Hickory High steals the ball, and Coach calls a timeout. Coach wants Jimmy to be the decoy for the last play, because the other team's all assuming Jimmy's going to take the last shot. But the team all look a bit uncomfortable with this decision, so Coach Dale's like, what's the matter, team? And then Jimmy just says, I'll make it. So Coach changes the play call and lets Jimmy take the last shot. Super slow-mo last shot is in the air, and it goes in. Uh, Shooter, who was listening on the radio at the hospital, goes crazy. Rural townsfolk are storming the floor. Jimmy is being carried off on people's shoulders. And the other Todd team... is bawling his eyes out. <laughs> the other team is disappointed, but show good sportsmanship in their loss. Coach Dale and Miss Fleener make eye contact across the court. To close out, there's an audio montage of inspirational lines from the film as the camera zooms in on a black and white photo of the state champs. And this ends with a player saying... I love you guys. It's the coach. Oh, it's the coach saying that? Yes. I thought it was Jimmy. No, because he has to learn to love. He has to learn to love his players. Uh, I, I thought it was Jimmy, but I wasn't sure. So I just said, with the players. No, no, no. It's Coach Dale. Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. That didn't sound like a gene reading to me. He says, I love you guys. All right. So it ends with Coach Dale <laughs> saying, I love you guys. Maybe Coach Dale. We're not sure. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> the, uh, end. the end. Roll credits. Roll credits. Well done. Oh, thank you. So I get the impression that you don't really like this film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. It's uh, it's just no Rocky when it comes to sports films. Okay. Uh, and uh, I do feel, uh, as you may have caught on, that the, uh, the 1980s music dates it a bit. <laughs> I'm happy with it. But on the whole, I think it's a great film. Okay. Uh, so uh, what do you, what should we talk about? Let's talk about Coach Dale. When he starts, is he a good coach? <laughs> this is exactly the question that I wanted to start with. Um, <laughs> because... Well, that's good, Todd, because that may be my only question that I had prepared. 
<laughs> well, no, here's the thing about Coach Dale. Uh, so we know that he is, he's arrived at this town because he hit one of his own players, which is, that's pretty bad. I mean, yeah, that's like, uh, I mean, so this is, so this film is set in 1951. So, uh, this incident would have happened in the 1940s. And I don't know, like, how much on court violence there, there would have been in the day, you know, back in the day. But this is kind of the equivalent of, like, the worst Bobby Knight moment for anyone oh, yeah. who watched college basketball. He and... hit, he hit his own player. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then was banned for life from teaching college bas or from coaching college basketball. And then he goes into the Navy for 12 years and then comes back and now he's coaching again. So there's two things here. So the, on, on the one hand, there's like the, the technical side of things, the strategic side of coaching about fundamentals and passing the ball and all of that. Um, I think we get the impression that that's how he's always coached. I mean, I don't know that there's any, there's no reason for us to suspect that that's not how he's always coached. But then there's the, the way that he treats his players in the beginning. He's very, authoritative yeah he prefers uh, at some point someone says something about like running laps like we're not in the army and he says you are in the army and i'm your commanding officer says, you're so, in my army <laughs> yeah so and he absolutely will not allow any any feedback from the the team uh so like when uh number 12 ray uh, uh -huh. like gets benched for sake of like really he's just suggesting a play <laughs> and that gets him benched because because he spoke first in the huddle basically well, but he's pretty mouthy, and and I mean that in that opening practice, the the one the one player that leaves and never comes back, he is totally disrespectful, yeah. and not and he's talking to another player, and then coach says, uh, "Hey, uh, what's going on?" And he says, "Well, I'm just wondering when we're going to start. Because could you let me know? Because I'm getting a little bored here. Listen." And coach is like, "You're you're out of here. Get out." Um, which I don't feel like is uh, unjustified. No, I don't. That I'm I'm fine with that one. And kicking out the other coach is kind of a gutsy move. I mean, but it's necessary. I mean, that coach is about to you know stop Rudy in his path. <laughs> I don't know that he knows that 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 same that same guy is going to go on to coach. I just want to say this football this guy, at the this, University this of Notre Dame is, is clearly no good for sports heroes. <laughs> so if you want to have a good sports team, you don't want him. What is his name? What's uh, the actor's name? I had it in the summary. I've got it right here. It was Chelsea something, I think. Chelsea, yes. Uh, Chelsea Ross. George. <laughs> yeah, the, the character's name is George in the film. George. Um, I, know, I, I know that one because Coach says, George, you're out of here. I don't know any of the players' names because he doesn't call any of them by name. <laughs> so is he a good coach at the beginning? That's the question, right? Yeah, I think there's definitely an evolution. Like you said, uh, you argue that it was... Uh, coach saying the last line of I love you guys because he had to learn to love like that was the transformation that had to happen um, but um, before that I mean we get the final play is coach calling it a play and the player is kind of saying mm, which at the start of the film that would get every single player benched right. <laughs> like he'd send in two guys <laughs> to the state championship <laughs> and bench the five guys that didn't like the play he called in uh -huh. but he listens uh, particularly when Jimmy says I'll make it he, he completely redraws re up the play yeah, and earlier, I mean, you you referred to this inspirational huddle that they have at the beginning. The it happens when Ray says, "Can I say something?" And then uh, Coach says, "Yes," and he says, "I think Jimmy can take his guy if we set him up." And Coach says, "All right, let's do it." And then they and then they do it. So, but my question is, how much of that is 
coach's evolution as a coach or as a human being and how much of it is the players have earned it. Right. So he trusts his players. Uh, if he didn't trust his players, he'd be the same hard-nosed coach as always. But they have demonstrated their own growth. Therefore, he trusts them more. And it's not necessarily that he has changed. Yeah. So, and I don't know, I don't know exactly where I fall on that. Uh, I think I probably feel it's more, he trusts the players, but he's still basically the same person, but he just didn't trust anyone when he came in. Like he saw bad habits. There's bad practice happening. It was, uh, not a great team the year before. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't think says, that any of those players are worthy of trust at the yeah. beginning of the thing. And when Ray, I mean, Ray shows for sure that he's not worthy of trust because he willfully goes out and disobeys the one order. I mean, it is not a complicated system that Coach Dale is running here. His his system is pass the ball four times so and then say, shoot it. Uh, the way the players play in that first game, it's hard to complete four passes because <laughs> they both basically just stand still and look at the guy who has the ball yeah. and allow the other team to stand between them and the ball. <laughs> Right, but because they don't believe in in the system either, so I guess um, I guess it, it it is about. Here's one of the uh, one of the things that I think I like about this film, uh, and it's not a perfect film. Uh, I, I like the film soundtrack. <laughs> soundtrack notwithstanding, um, but I think that it's it's about redemption. And it's about his evolution as a character, but it's also about their evolution as a group, which is not, which is tied in with his, with his growth. Yeah. There's, um, when he has that Saturday night dinner with Miss Fleener and Ma, um, she, I think it's the mom says something like, looks like you're having a hard time with the boys. Uh, what are you going to do about that? And he says something like, I'm going to tear him down and build him back up. Mm-hmm. And I, that is absolutely what we see happen uh, with the boys. But that I think that still kind of says that coach hasn't actually changed. He just feels the boys have been built back up enough that, um, you know, they can take more responsibility on the court. They can uh, do their own thing and he'll, he'll listen to them because he trusts them at this point. Whereas at the start, he doesn't trust them. So are you arguing now in favor of less evolution on the part of the coach or, or is that an independent, that makes sense? I think I've always been arguing for little evolution on Coach okay. Dale's part. So, and so but can, I don't can think I, I made my argument clear <laughs> because <laughs> you were unclear on that. Okay, so can I make my counter argument? Please. Um, I think the the moment for me where I see his evolution as a coach is it happens in two ways. One is when he trusts Shooter to come and and he's willing to reach out and help Shooter. A, get his life turned around, but B, he needs somebody to trust, and he does, and he so finds him. is that him. an evolution, or did he just know <laughs> he needs someone? Oh, I think that it it shows a measure of humility that I sense that he didn't have early on. But for me, the real kicker is when – so Shooter's son uh, gets injured and has stitches, and then those stitches get popped out. In the in one of these really important games, and he goes to the and coach goes to the doctor and says, "Patch him up, patch him up." And the doctor says, "Wow, I can't do this. Eight stitches." Wah. And uh, and is so that, is that your rural townsfolk impression, Todd? <laughs> that's my rural townsfolk doctor. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so the coach says, 
uh, you can't do this. Uh, we we can't we can't do this. We can't, I can't patch him up. He's in too bad a shape. The doctor the, says that. Yes, and the player okay. uh, says, "I'm sorry." The player says, "I want to play," and the coach says, "That's fine. Just get in there and play. You'll be fine." And he actually sends him into the game, and then he goes and sits on the bench, and he goes, "Think, think, think," and then he turns around and he says, "You're out." And the player says, "What? I can play." And coach says, "No, I'm not going to risk it." And to me, that shows that it's like the the moment of change because why is he in this place? Because he he injured one of his own players, and now he's willing to risk losing the game to say to to protect one of his players, which shows I think a real legitimate change in his character. Uh, is it a change from who he was ten years ago, or do you th- you see that as a change from who he was at the start of this season? Absolutely, yes. Okay. I think it's a change from the beginning of the season. So I think that we have we have the coach from 12 years ago who was banned from college basketball forever. Let's call him Bobby Knight. Okay. Bobby Knight. Uh, and then he goes off to the Navy, and who knows what happens there. I ain't got a hair of a notion why we hired somebody that's been in the water for 12 years. Now, now there's a rural townsville compression. Okay. Uh, and then we have what, what will we call Coach – uh, early, what we call him? Not Bobby Knight, but um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> let's call him Taskmaster Dale. Let's call him beginning of the season Dale. I, I like Taskmaster Dale. Taskmaster Dale at the he beginning. He runs them through quite a few drills. I love it. I love it. It's just it takes me back to my old junior jazz days. It's just uh, high step, high step, high step. Uh, run the line, run the line, run the line. High step, high step, high step. <sighs> so <good. laughs> no, so don't good. shoot yet. Don't shoot. <laughs> We're still running. <laughs> And then, uh, but I see, I see those as three, um, so last three one, different let's call points the last on one the continuum. Coach Dale. So okay. we have Bobby Knight, Taskmaster Dale, Coach Dale. Yeah, and I think those are all three distinct versions of the same man. I'll and, allow and I think I, that I there, think... I think that it's a, I think there's a significant difference between Taskmaster Dale and Coach Dale at the end of the film. See, the sentence that was literally about to come out of my mouth was, I don't see a huge difference between Taskmaster <laughs> Dale and Coach Dale at the end of the film. But uh, from the implications of who Bobby Knight Coach Dale was uh, in the past, I think there's a huge difference there. But uh, I think it's a better story if we see it your way, Todd. So I'm going to allow it. <laughs> okay. Okay, thank but you. But I, I particularly like what you said about um, he was in trouble for injuring his own player and now he's risking it all to prevent injury, further injury to his own player. Well, there's the, there's the scene where he's talking to Jimmy when Jimmy makes all those shots in a row uh, at Jimmy's house. He says something like... Uh, he says, when I was younger, I would do anything to win, anything. And if anybody stood in my way, I just, I just pushed him out of the way. And then he says, I don't care if you play or not. And I think that that's a... I mean, that's a significant change in character. Whether that change is from Bobby Knight, Dale, to Taskmaster Dale, I, I don't know. I, would, I think that's probably arguable. And I think what, what you're arguing is that he starts in a, in a pretty decent place. Yeah, he starts as a coach that is just uh, – his team's not where he needs it to be. But as the team gets there, he lets the team have a lot more free reign and control. But he was always working to get them to the point where they would have that. Not that he was always going to keep control. He just seems so angry as Taskmaster Dale. He does, but I, I mean, and he seems him, less angry later. But he says the whole plan is to tear them down. So we're seeing him at the teardown phase, which is always going to be rough. Okay. All right. 
Um, should we talk a little bit about the relationship with Miss Fleener? Sure. So there's this very initial distrust of Miss Fleener for uh, for Dale, and she like grills him right on the spot when he first walks into the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, all of this is built around her own prejudice against both the sport of basketball and also her expectations for someone who's coming to her small town. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? um, so what do you think of her attitude? Because I, I, I would say we, we see more definitive evolution in her than uh, in Coach Dale, which maybe there's some evolution, but from Taskmaster to, to, to Coach Dale, for me, it's not as big. But okay. from her point of view at the start of the film to where she ends, I think there's a pretty big shift. Yeah, I, I'll buy that. I... <sighs> There's something about her performance in this that, I don't know, it just doesn't really speak to me. Um, but, I mean, but I buy the change in her. Yeah, and I think, so the, my, I think my favorite line from her in explaining, this is where she's saying, like, why, why I don't think you're good for this town, uh, is she says, we're a really small place <laughs> in, uh, basically the middle of nowhere. Uh, so you're either here because you have no, is it, oh, now I'm ruining the line. She says you're here because you have no choice or you have nowhere else to go. Something like you're either running from somewhere or you have nowhere else to go. Right. Uh, which, um, is, well, for what it's a little dismissive of her own hometown. (laughs) (laughs) A little. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when we know her story of having like gone out, like she, she didn't like this small town. She wanted to get out. She got out and she only came back because of family. Um, I think you understand her point of view, uh, particularly when she says like, I was expecting like a first time high school coach to be a young guy starting his career. Right. Um, and, and so I think it's that tension that we have at the beginning uh, is, is believable. And I think it's grounded in mm-hmm. what we get from her as a character. Yeah. And like you said, the, I think the transformation that we get is also plenty believable. Yeah. And I think that he earns her respect by the way that he coaches the kids, by the way that he leaves Jimmy alone. And she keeps saying, listen, I know you're going to go after him. And he says, I really don't care, which I think lends probably credit to your argument that from the beginning, he's a, he's a really different guy. I just, uh, I was looking this up and it was not as I, when I watch this, I feel like this is one of the classic Hollywood, like casting uh, a younger female uh, against an older male actor and, uh-huh. and not, you know, ignoring the generational divide, but it's not as big a divide as I thought. How <laughs> she old is just, she? She looks a lot younger than him. Uh, well, their birth date, uh, Hackman is, was, uh, oh wait, no, never mind. Is it, it 15 years or? Let's see. Nope. I, I think I, I pulled up the wrong one. Ha! <laughs> Let's see. It is actually okay. Never mind. It's a big, big gap. How it big? is what I thought. Thirty-five years. <laughs> Thirty-five years difference between him and her. Yeah, Gene Hackman was born in nineteen thirty. He was. That's that's what uh, the recesses what? of my mind, otherwise known as Wikipedia, are telling me at this moment. He's eighty-six years old. And Barbara Hershey was born in. Uh, oh no! Wait. Oh my goodness. I've, I've not looked at a single date correctly. This She was born in 48. So it is a gap, but it's not 35 years. No All right. way. Uh, 18 years. 18 years. 18 years difference. Uh, I, I had glanced down and it says, uh, like years active as an actor. And that starts in 65. Mm. That uh, would be very. Yeah. So that, that was the 35 year gap I thought. But according to this, it's an 18 year gap. Yeah. 
And that that's, feels yeah. about right. Cause yeah. he, she's, he's like early fifties in this film and she would be then 18 years younger than him would put her mid late thirties. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's he, actually kind of better than the typical yeah. uh, pairing of this day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Where it, I mean, there's been a number of, of, uh, articles you, or statements addressing this. That, you can find graphs. I've seen the graphs. Yeah. They're pretty bad. And, and they get worse as the lead actor gets older because they just keep casting a late twenties to mid thirties actress a ro- as, as a romantic pair. The yeah. one exception, Tom Hanks. He, he keeps them pretty close. Well, when you have three with Meg Ryan, it, <laughs> yes. it stabilizes the, <laughs> Stabilize the, the, the age difference. Nice. But but typically Tom Hanks plays against well like even uh, just like though I think the day that we're recording this I saw an article about Olivia Wilde being told she was too old uh, to be a romantic uh, uh, character in a film romantic lead yeah romantic lead anyone you want to guess how old Olivia Wilde is she's like twenty seven she's thirty two years old oh. <laughs> but in a casting office she was told she's too old to be the romantic lead and I think it was for Leonardo DiCaprio and they've had her play against Liam Neeson yeah gosh. But at 32, she's now too old. <laughs> so, yeah, it um, it just feels like there's an age difference, but it's not quite as big as I, as I would have guessed going in. I mean, 18 years is not mm-hmm. nothing. That means he was out of high school when she was born. <laughs> but like uh, Producer Edge was saying, Hollywood has a much worse track history than just 18 years of an age gap. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk about Shooter, and I'd like to talk about Jimmy. All right. Shooter is my favorite thing in this film. I I may I I think I absolutely agree with that. Uh, he, I, Dennis Hopper, uh, he's like though his physicality, just the way he holds his body, both for being a belligerent drunk to being like a very uncertain, sober individual who's you know struggling with the role that's thrust upon him, like. The way his body seems to change size is just amazing. Uh huh. But also the way that he, when he talks about basketball, he looks like somebody who knows about basketball. <laughs> the those final scenes when he's in the hospital and he's talking to the nurse, it's just ah, man, it's really good stuff. He's he's f- absolutely fantastic in this film. What do you make of the way that uh, Coach Dale handles Shooter? Like the relationship with Shooter. All right. So we first have Shooter, well, coming up and kind of talking about his glory days, which mm-hmm. is easy to dismiss. But then Shooter gives him some actually pretty sound advice about an upcoming team. It's kind of like a, a scouting report. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think it's after the, like, after the game, Coach Dale realizes, oh, uh, he was right. <laughs> well, this is, the, this is when he gets kicked out. And then his, his friend, the principal, had Has been his over. assistant. Yeah. And his only assistant and has to take over and it, and it leads to some heart problems for him yeah, because of the stress. And that's um, why he has to go find an assistant. And, uh, so I think it's, it's both like, there's the deed, uh, that he can't have his, the principal that hired him, who's now ailing in health, can't have him keep being on the bench. So he needs someone, but he also recognizes that shooter really actually did know what he was talking about uh-huh. for the strategies of this other team. Right. So he brings him in with the mandate that he has to sober up. And then uh, Shooter's, like, shrinking from a lot of the responsibilities. But I think Dale does a good job of uh, of getting him ready. But he he also, like, lies to his face in order to, yeah. to get him there. And uh, this is when uh, it seems Shooter, I mean, this is 
we cut out of a sports montage to see Coach Dale dunking Shooter's face into cold water. So the assumption we can make is that Shooter must have been drinking. And Dale says, I, you have to be sober or you can't, you can't be on the bench with me. And that's when Shooter says, like, well, you have to promise me you won't get kicked out of the game. And that's when he gives the, the scouts honor. And it's not just that he gets kicked out of the next game. It's that he actively... <laughs> He forces to be kicked out of the next game. To be game. kicked out of the game. <laughs> so, so my question going about that is: uh, is that a gutsy move by a leader who knows that the only thing that his protege needs is a little, you know, boost, a little push, or is that an unethical move by somebody who just lied to his student's face? <laughs> it could have been a total disaster, and luckily, it turns out well. Well, it doesn't turn out well in the long run. <laughs> it, it turns out okay right then because Shooter calls calls the offensive play uh, that the team wins. But when the pressure turns up a notch, you know, as they're going to its mm-hmm. uh, sectionals, that's when Shooter can't handle it. He disappears and he comes back just blisteringly drunk. Right. The most drunk we've seen him in the film at any point. Uh-huh. So do we call it a success? <laughs> Oh, and then, and then he ends up in the hospital, but, 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 well, but because, he listen, ends up with a better relationship with his son. But would, so, so I, I think you could say that the reason Shooter ends up running away from sectionals and drunk is because coach said he'd never get thrown out of the game, but he's been thrown out of the game. And so Shooter feels more pressure coming at him. Do you think he feels be, be betrayed by that? I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's my question. So, like, say, I think he's mostly, say Coach I, Dale had promised, I will never get kicked out of the game, and he didn't, would Shooter have run away to start drinking when the pressure got higher? Mm, but maybe he can't cut trust that Coach Dale's not going to get thrown out. He can't handle the thought of having all that pressure on him. But here's my second question. Uh, would Shooter have ever patched up the relationship with his son? Because the, because the key moment here is when Coach Dale gets himself kicked out of the game, then it looks like Shooter's going to have another panic attack, and his son is the one who says, what do you think, Dad? you think we should do this play? And they say, and he says, yeah, I think we should do that. And then that, and it's a defensive play first, and then he calls the offensive play at the end. But it's his son who gives him the confidence, and that's the beginning of him and his son patching up their relationship. So, which pop- never would have happened if if Coach Dale hadn't got kicked off the out of the game, then I don't know that 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 exchange ever happens. And if Shooter's never given the chance, then I don't know that his son ever reaches out to him or like lends a hand to him. A complicated relationship, right? Uh, because you're, <laughs> I mean, we're weighing. Um, a complete alcoholic breakdown that ends up with him in a hospital after passing out drunk in frozen woods that he could have died in <laughs> versus uh, repairing a relationship with his son, which does happen. And we don't know if it would have happened otherwise. Otherwise. So if he had never ended up passed out drunk in the woods, would he have repaired his relationship with his son? And they, well, and I, I, we can't know. This isn't the story we were given. Right. But, <laughs> but if we're going to say that's a possibility, then maybe it's better he didn't end up passed out drunk in the woods and Coach Dale's a bit of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> or was, like you said, is this just uh, the smart move to try and make him rise up to the occasion? And in the end, I mean, is it, isn't it interesting that Coach Dale tells uh, Ma Fleeney, 
Uh, Fleen- Fleeny? Ma Fleeny. Fleener? Fleener. <laughs> Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Fleener. Hoosiers. Uh, Ma Fleeny. Or Fleener? <laughs> it's, it's Fleener. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's tells, see. I don't think it. Yeah, Miss Fleener. Okay, so he tells Ma Fleener. And Fleener. <laughs> I'm going to break them down so that I can build them back up again. Does Shooter ha- need to be broken all the way down? All the way down to lying frozen cold in the woods in order to be built back up again? I, I don't know, because he was on a good path, but he obviously couldn't handle the stress. But again, is, is he was on added a, stress? Is this, I don't know. Yeah. He was huh. on a good path, but he was still at odds with his son, and he wasn't really ha- taking any of that responsibility. I mean, he wasn't really given yeah. any responsibility except to be there and sit on the bench and look uncomfortable. But the first time Coach Dale gets uh, thrown out, he just completely shrinks. Like, right. He melts into himself. It's an amazing bit of physical acting. <laughs> that does yeah, cover it does. Really uh, and the second time, he does rise up, but... Is like his trust in Coach Dale gone at that point, and that's why he has the breakdown. I guess I don't know this. I don't How? think we're going to come to a conclusion on this. I think it's just an interesting quandary. Okay, so my last question is about Jimmy Chitwood. All right. And before we get to that, go ahead. Todd, can I read you an iTunes review that we've received? Yes, please. So do. last week we asked. As our one request to listeners with all the various ways that we've said you can support us, we ask that you uh, use uh, Amazon.com slash Protagonist Podcast. This week, we're asking that you leave an iTunes review, and we would like to read one that is titled Pop Culture Meets Academica. <laughs> Academica. Academia? Academica. Academia. Oh, dear. All right. Uh, I- if the word is Huger's. <laughs> Huger's. Uh- <laughs> This is a five-star review from Katcha0133 that says, if I had to rename this podcast, it would be Fanboys with PhDs, Good Stuff. And that is all it takes to leave a review. In fact, you don't even have to type in anything. If you do, you could type something like, this podcast has changed my life forever. Uh, or you could just click on the five-star and call that good. Either way, it helps us out to uh, have better reach within iTunes and to get new listeners. So this week, listeners, we would ask you to please uh, just go leave an iTunes review for us. Thank you. All right, Todd, final question about Jimmy Chitwood. Jimmy Chitwood. Deus Ex Machina? Yes or no? I mean, is he Deus Ex Machina or is he Chekhov's gun? Because <laughs> <laughs> we find out about him right from the get-go. Yes. Uh, you know, first scene in the school is him just making every shot he takes. But I, th- I think he... I would say for the basketball team, he is Chekhov's gun. <laughs> Uh-huh. For Coach Dale's career, he is Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> okay. Because uh, Coach Dale was run out of town until Jimmy Chitwood walked in, which the influence of this high school player is astounding. Yes. <laughs> in this small town. Uh, the adoration that he has from his fellow students and from the adults within the town maybe says some priorities need to be reset. <laughs> That's the only thing that gives you that clue. <laughs> Not all of the men in the town pulling the coach into the barbershop and, and grilling him. 
about what kind of defense he's going to run. I, well, okay. This is another thing that maybe says uh, priorities out of whack, but I love the shots of all the cars in the town leaving on the single road yes. out of town. That's so cool. Those are some great shots. Yeah. I just, I, as I was watching this film last night, I was thinking about Jimmy and his role in this film. Um, and it just gave me sort of cause to pause. All right. Maybe real quick, we should define Deus Ex Machina and Chekhov's gun real quick, just in case any okay. listeners are scratching their heads. Uh, do you want to take Deus Ex Machina and explain sure. Chekhov's gun? Deus Ex Machina uh, comes from, the term comes from like ancient theater in which at the end of a play, there would be like essentially the hand of God so reach down. Greek and, theater, right? And change. Yeah. Uh, and there would be some kind of machinery that would, th- where some divine power would come down and make everything right in the end. And it, and, and the, the sense when you refer to something as a deus ex machina, which means God in the machine, uh, or from the machine, um, the idea is that it's not really related to the story in any way. It just kind of comes and it happens and it saves everything and kind of external to the internal logic of the story. Is that? Pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I, I think that was And it's sort of frowned upon, I think, in storytelling in general nowadays to just be telling a story and have it be going in one direction and then have some, like, miraculous thing happen at the end that changes everything that nobody ever saw coming. Okay. So Deus Ex Machina, just real quick, I was double-checking this. It's Latin, but it's coming from uh, the Greek theater tradition okay. of essentially the gods coming out and fixing everything at the very mm-hmm. end. Um, so you're, you're saying, like, is... Does Jimmy kind of act in that role where it's just, just coming out of nowhere? There's this thing that fixes everything that's wrong. Um, Chekhov's gun is um, uh, it's a term for theater that comes from Anton Chekhov, a playwright, uh, where he he was saying that you need to remove anything from a story that isn't necessary. So essentially, if you have a gun that's on stage. Uh, and it never goes off. It should never have been in there in the first place. <laughs> so uh, a corollary of this that has kind of developed, though, or that I've heard is um, a version of Chekhov's gun, is that if you show a gun in the first scene, it had better go off in one of the later scenes. Right. <laughs> um, so kind of like the inverse of what he was actually saying, which was if it doesn't need to be there, remove it. The, the inverse is like if it is there, you Use better it. you better have it pay off. Right. Um, and so by having the first comments almost that that coach Dale hears in the small town be Jimmy Chitwood, Jimmy Chitwood, Jimmy Chitwood. Uh, mm-hmm. That is introducing this thing that, you know, this gun that's going to go off later in the, in the film. So here's, here's my, here's my quandary about Jimmy. Everybody is telling him at the beginning, you cannot win without Jimmy. You can't win. And he's saying, well, in my experience, no player is indispensable and we're going to focus on fundamentals and we're going to pass the ball four times. And it's all a bunch of, hooey <laughs> because in the end he cannot win without jimmy shitwood yeah uh and he's he's getting right. run he's getting run out on a rail despite all of his best efforts and his players are there so the, they're on the board with him losing. but the team is losing until jimmy gets there and then they and then even as they're working together as a team at the very end when when all the when when everything's on the line they and they're given an opportunity to work together as a team we're gonna use a decoy and we're gonna do this and then they all just step back, and Jimmy says, I'll make it. And then he does. And I'm like, ah, I don't know what to make of that. Right. So if we're looking at this story from Coach's perspective, his listening to the team, like that seems to be a moment of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we're looking at it from the team perspective, this is 
like you, like you're kind of saying, it's it's a lack of trust in each other, <laughs> and it's just uh-huh. a deference to the star player. Yeah, and and the townspeople were right. Yeah, the we want Jimmy, we want Jimmy chant. Uh, yes. The the barbershop rural country folk, town folk. Uh huh. You're right. Uh, ooh, I'm I'm going backwards a little in my feelings <laughs> on this film, Todd. You're back. <laughs> so the the only thing that makes sense. I mean, I I love this film so much that I'm not going to just let it go <laughs> without a fight. But I wonder if. If there's something of a reality check in in this, where, where uh, I mean, it's kind of like the uh, the speech in Rudy, where it's like, uh, you know, I wish your drive was in my other players' bodies. But yes, it's not. You're never going to go pro, <laughs> like, right? And, and you're barely ever like, maybe I'll let you see the field once because your drive can get you that far, but it is not going to take you an inch further than a single play, <laughs> um, uh, because. There is the reality of physical talent, which it needs to be honed. It needs to be practiced. Like we see Jimmy practicing. This isn't just like a wonder kid who can walk in and shoot everywhere. Like every time we see him, he's shooting nonstop. Uh Uh, So he has the talent and he's using the talent. uh, But his talent is just, and his physical gifts are just at a higher level than any other member of the team. Right. And so the reality check is that, you know what? Uh, Sometimes all the teamwork in the world might come up against an unstoppable force. And you just need the one person who can, who can break through. Right. And when that, and when that time comes, lean on it, like lean on your strengths. Like there's this, uh, there's this really, really good book. Uh, It's called, um, it's called different escaping the competitive herd. It's by young me moon. She's a Harvard business professor. And she says, um, it's about marketing. And she says when people, uh, many, many, many companies, when they, when they focus on marketing, what they try to do is eliminate the difference between them and everybody else. So she'll talk about like smartphones, for example. And if if one uh, one company makes a smartphone with a 12 megapixel camera, then everybody else will do that as well. So if you're looking at uh, like a bar graph of different traits of your uh, product, people want all of those bars to be at about the same level. And if you have- So it's just constant imitation. Right. And so if you're low in some area, like say your phone is um, super fast, but it has a terrible camera, then the kind of prevailing knowledge would be you need to make your camera better. But what she's saying in this book is you should double down on your strengths and make your phone twice as fast and leave your camera crummy because it, because it separates you from the crowd because you're, now you are the phone that is faster than every single other phone. Whereas if you were to only focus on your camera at the expense of the, of the speed of your phone, then you become just like, just like every other phone. Right. And at the same time, you're trying to fix up the camera. Every other company is probably trying to catch your speed. Right. So, so I'm wondering if this same principle can be applied to groups in that, um, like the thing, the thing that makes the, the Hickory high school basketball team great, not good, but great is Jimmy Chitwood. And in the end, the players realize that and they say, let's just double down on our strength. Let's set up Jimmy so that he can take us to victory. Whereas maybe coach Dale is thinking, no, the thing, the, the kind of the foundation of this has been trust and teamwork. And that's, what's going to take us into the end. And they say, no, actually it's Jimmy (laughs) and they recognize it. And they're able to, and they're able to say, you know what? 
this is the thing that's this is the real thing that got us here that pushed us over the top and we're going to ride that horse all the way to the end so so todd in our conversation we start with this question is coach dale a good coach <laughs> and we have now said it's possible he drove a man into a drunken coma <laughs> And <laughs> all the rural this. townsfolk were right the entire time. Is that is that an accurate assessment of where we play? Yes. <laughs> so is Coach Dale a good coach? Um, I think that he has some good qualities. <laughs> and I mean, I, th- I, I like I love the opening scene where he throws the player out and where he's he's going to run practice his way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I think all of that is what was needed at that moment. Yeah, and I, I I still think that there's some evolution in his character in in sort of him toning down and not getting himself kicked out of games by yelling at obscenities at refs and stuff like that. I mean that that part of him changes. He's still an intense guy at the end, but he's not uh, quite as um ag- like aggressively angry at yeah. the world at the end. And I'm talking about like end of the end of the film coach versus taskmaster coach. I think the there coach is a who difference. says, I love you guys. Yeah, the coach that says, I love you guys, is, Maybe. in my mind, an emotionally different coach than the one at the very beginning of the film. Or, not, was, it, or was it Jimmy who loved the guys for trusting him? It's not Jimmy! <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that you're... But part of this is him learning that he wasn't right at the very beginning about some things. And that's a big step for him. <laughs> Yeah, it's because he um, is taking absolutely no insight from anyone else. There's a great scene you'll know this better than I, um, where Picard is is Picard talking to Q, and he says, "I need your help. I can't do this." Like, do you remember this? Doesn't sound like something Picard would ever say. He does. I, he does. No, There's I, one I, no, scene I, I, where he says, "It's ringing a bell. I can't. I can't." He goes like in complete humility, and he says. I am totally out of my depth. I cannot do this. I need your help. And it's like, whoa, did, did John Picard after, just say this? Is this when uh, Q has dropped them out in Borg space? I think it may. I, I, I have no idea. I'll have to look it up. Or if, if uh, any of our listeners know this reference. I trust one of our listeners will. I, I believe you. <laughs> um, but there's something about humility that that has to be learned. And and maybe if we're talking about his evolution as a as a human being, maybe that's the the thing that's different. Right. It's not that uh, oh the townspeople were right all along. It's that he needed to realize he wasn't right, and that's the change. Yeah. Okay. Now you're swinging back around a little. Okay. <laughs> so close. <laughs> it's been a roller coaster of my feelings towards Coach Dale. <laughs> all right. Any. Well, final I think he's a complicated on? guy. I think that's what makes him such an interesting character is that he's a complicated guy. Yeah. And, and I think this film is complicated too. It's not just sending a one note message. Yeah, and and I, I like that. It's an it's it's an inspirational film to me, but it's not um it's not a dumb inspirational film. <laughs> I think it's kind of a complex and uh nuanced inspirational film and I like that. Yeah, and it it to me now is going to define 1980s sports film montage. <laughs> <laughs> Even more than Rocky? Ooh, I don't I just there's something about this music is much more 1980s than then so, I have the tiger. Uh, that's timeless, Todd. Don't don't you dare. Oh come! <laughs> don't you dare date I have the tiger. <laughs> oh, that gets man. me excited to go run right now. <laughs> Just saying the words. I have the tiger. Uh, we really need to talk about Rocky. <laughs> 
All right. Well, listeners, I believe that wraps up this episode. Thank you for joining us. And you can subscribe to the protagonist podcast in iTunes and leave us a review. That's our request for you this week. And uh, links to everything that we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. And that's where to find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters or give us any feedback, comments, or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. And we're all also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. Our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. And if you'd like to support us financially, you can do that in a few different ways. If you want to buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation for the show with a monetary donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. And do not forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joseph. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm actually not. 65 episodes in, it still gets us. <laughs> That's the first time I've done that in a while. Yeah, I, that was it's been a while good. since either of us have had it. <laughs> yeah.